Hi, friends. Hello, should I delete that, listeners? We still have some tickets left for our live tour and we would absolutely love to see you there. On Thursday, the 23rd of May, we will be performing in the London Islington Assembly Hall. On Monday, the 27th of May, we will be in Salford. On Tuesday, the 28th of May, we'll be in Glasgow. Sunday, the 2nd of June, Birmingham. Monday, the 3rd of June, Bristol. And Tuesday, the 4th of June in Southampton. You can get your tickets at aegpresents.co.uk or via the link in the show notes or our Instagram bios. Really hope we see you there. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Oh my god, why did I post that? Ah, I don't know what to do. Should I delete that? Yeah, you should definitely delete that. <laughs> Hi, hello everyone. Welcome back to Should I Delete That? Hi Em, are you okay? Hello. Yeah. <laughs> you winced when you asked if I was okay. I'm not having my happiest day. Like I'm not having like the no. happiest day that I've ever had. Because um, sometimes I find working online to be a hard thing to do. You are having a tough day very tough day yeah but I'm good I don't want to be like um sort of evasive you know people are like oh and it's like I tell you what we're doing now we're uploading the hospital selfie with absolutely no context and then someone's commenting saying <laughs> yeah. are you okay babe and we go yeah pm hun <laughs> yeah dm me babe <laughs> I'm actually I'm so inspired by that level of like um baiting that people do like on their Facebook page I just think god how inspiring good for you I do love that I love I do love to see a bit of baiting I enjoy it but I also don't because I'm like yeah but I want to fucking know oh no everything yeah if I ever end up in hospital rest assured I will just there'll just be the gown (laughs) and no explanation (laughs) just caption of um hopefully going to be better soon feeling really grateful for my friends right now you know who you are oh yes Oh yeah, that's yes, the worst. That's you know, like it, that's the absolute worst. Like that, and I don't think people use social media quite like this anymore. But I think people definitely used to do that with Facebook, where you'd upload a photo, like, or you'd upload a status, and it's like feeling so grateful for my friends right now. The real ones know who they are, and then the rest of them just have to sit there and go, "Well, she sure as oh. shit isn't talking about me." <laughs> yeah but that's that's always passive aggressive stuff isn't it to make someone feel bad i mean i'm pretty sure that's why social media like i think yeah that's but that's how facebook thrives and instagram yeah yeah it's yeah 100 percent. that's the point it's like when people break up have breakups and then their social media feed is kind of littered with quotes about how like (laughs) i don't know like yeah alluding to what's happened like yeah to be fair, I, I feel like I probably did that back in the day as well. Oh, yeah, tough times don't last, yeah. tough people do. It reminds me of, do you know what what we used to do in uni is like, oh, to try and get like a boy's attention or something, or like start up a conversation, you text and be like, oh, sorry, wrong person. Oh my God, I used to do this <laughs> all the time. Yeah, you'd be like, hey, mm-hmm. you up? And they'd be like, oh my God, sorry, wrong person. Or you just reply like, yeah, you'd try to be even more subtle than that and reply like, yeah, babe, I'm really good, thanks. How are you? Thanks for asking. And then send another one going, shit, sorry, wrong person. And then it makes it sound like you're kind of having like, the chat you are people want to know how you are and you are gonna tell them oh god so good oh yeah and like yeah double text jesus i was so i used to do that 
and I only had a finite number of of texts available of credit available on my on my Motorola on my like my, my flip but I probably I think I had I think I had 20 texts a month those things were like like gold dust and I had to be I had to be really calculated and careful you know people talk about like why Twitter is the best platform because you have to really think you know back in the day everyone used to say Twitter's so good because it's 140 characters so it was a sign of a good writer that they could be concise and like funny in that time and you know what I think the reason that we thrived on Twitter as a generation is because we had such a finite number of texts that we could send (laughs) as teenagers we had to know how to hook them in from the off. Um, I forgot about that. I forgot about having limited amount of texts. We, we would for, we would use them to each other before we even got out of bed in the morning on the first of the month. Would you? No, you and I. And like we oh, text so much. Oh my much. god, there's just no way. Isn't it, yeah, there's unfeasible. no way. Also, like I do that thing which is so annoying where I I send like two two words and then yes, another line another word and then yes, another line do. another word like I don't put it all in a, like some people text in actual par- like no, WhatsApp go, in actual hello. paragraphs I just think oh fuck but you did it yesterday you did it yesterday morning <laughs> you went hello no, and then I was like oh, why is she saying hello and then <laughs> always overthink it I always overthink it um or yeah the worst is when someone messages going can I call you I'm like can you not no yeah just yeah, yeah, fucking yeah, yeah, ring yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's wrong. Or I hate just that. ring. Don't text and say, "Can I call you?" That's a that's a that's yeah. abject cruelty in my mind. Yeah, I suppose it is actually. Yeah. Yeah. C- can you talk? We need to talk. Oh, oh don't. <laughs> can you talk? And, and it doesn't matter what I'm we doing. We need to talk. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I will drop everything I'm holding and make that yes. phone call immediately. I could literally be walking. I could be like holding. Like, I could be holding, like, 15 Fabergé eggs. I don't think I'd be able to hold that many in one go. But <laughs> that's the value. Like, that's that's how little... I could be I could be robbing yeah. the Bank of England with, like, fragile jewels in my hands. And I would just... Yeah. I would drop You're a goner. If you texted me saying, can we yeah. talk? Be like, yeah, fuck, yeah. We, we need to talk. Oh god! I actually thought I I've got that feeling in my tummy like someone sent me that message even though nobody has. My phone's on aeroplane mode. Oh my god, my phone's on aeroplane mode. What if someone sent me that text? That's why I hate going to the cinema because I just think someone could be texting me right now with an emergency. I just wouldn't fucking know. Yeah, that's quite... And when you're on a flight, I do sometimes think that. But then I, I feel like I have to go one of two ways. I have to like... Well, I can either I can either go full on head on anxiety, fucking hell, I need to get off this plane, I'm gonna have a panic attack, or I lean into it and I'm like, Do you know what? There's nothing I can do, gotta make peace with can this. Can I have four Call glasses of wine, please? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get my Valium out. Just kidding. Um, you are not okay so I have my goods and my bads and my awkwards and I think pretty much they stem um, from the moment we stopped recording last week's episode to the very second that we turned off record the following two hours were my bad and my awkward all rolled into one okay Um, so as you know we finished recording. I think we said it at the end of the episode. Mm. Oh, this we haven't acknowledged yeah. the fact that this episode's on a Tuesday, not a Monday. Hello. Yes. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Sorry. <laughs> it's Tuesday. Anyway. So, it, this will make sense, right? We finished recording and um, we mm. said, didn't we? I think we said in the last episode, we're going to have a blow dry. Or we were, we were going to our, eight, we were going to our uh, work party. We were going to our yes. summer 
our management's work party and we were at my house we were getting ready together and we'd gone on that massive thing about how we had to get rid of all of our clothes and start again because we were incredibly uncool and unfashionable so as part of that we were like let's look fucking stunning because the thing with management agencies is they they do hire like they do have like a, a wide range of um clients um yeah. There's like the love. There's sort of the Love Island is at one end, and then there's sort of us at the other end. So it's like <laughs> quite different. <laughs> so you've really got to like dog yourself vibes. up, yeah. To anyway. So we thought that's what we'd do. We'd dog ourselves up. So we um we did. I've never done this before. I feel like it's something you've done quite a lot of because you're quite a a bougie sort of person because of your job, your previous job. But we had a blow dry at my house. I found an app of people of like where you can have, and I love the app, but I'm just, because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, I'm not going to say the app and I'm not going to say anything else about it. But no, we had, no. we, we found somebody and they came to the house to do our hair. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a real, this, I mean, champagne problem. This is a real first world problem, a hundred percent. So this is just our awkward, but we just, I, I we, I, I didn't know what I wanted because I haven't had like just a blow dry before. You know, you can have like, you know, you have it at the end of your cut or your colour, but I've never had just a blow dry. Right. So they were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know, what do you think we should do? Like looking at my hair. And they were like, okay, well, we're going to do, I think we'll do like straight on top and then we'll just do like crazy curls on the bottom. And I was like, that sounds so great. Let's do that. And I sat and I had my hair being done and being curled. And then, um, <laughs> and then, and then we finished and we took the curls out. <laughs> we just weren't any curls. <laughs> no curls. No. No hairs. No curls. Which wasn't that, yeah, nothing. nothing. Just that, which is fine. No biggie. Like, I had shit hair. I paid so much money to have shit hair, which was a bit sad. But that was fine. It was, it was, it was fine-ish. The real awkward got to when it was your turn to have <laughs> your hair done. So now I pass the microphone over to Al. So... I wear, when I'm going to occasions or events or whatever, I wear clip and extensions to just give myself some volume and some hair. Um, so I brought them with me and I can apply them. I can uh, put them in myself, no problem. But it's always better when someone else does it for you because they can like back comb your hair and like get the exact right placement. So it's not like jaggedy and so that it's going to be perfectly covered up. Like with me, I have to always be like, Dave, is it all covered? And he has to do like a check, like a 360 after turn, do a twirl and he has to check. So not the role blah, blah. like Dave envisaged it's a, for himself. It's a thing. As a, <laughs> no, as a definitely man. not. It's not ideal. Um, so it's always better when someone puts it in for me. So I was like, yes, let's have a blow dry. So I took my extensions, showed him them, like it's very straightforward. It's one strip, one line. Like if, if I can do it, I and as everyone, well, as a lot of people listening will know, I cannot do hair for the life of me. I'm shit. If I can do it, like a professional can definitely do it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so this person was like, oh, why don't you do a braid in your hair as well? Like, because I wanted half up, half down. Um, and I, so I was like, okay, like, I'm not the biggest fan of braids in my hair. I don't know, just not. No reason in particular, just prefer no braid. 
But you know, when you feel like you can't say no, and I was just like, do you know what? I don't really have the energy to like make myself say no to this. So I was like, yeah, okay, like whatever. I'm sure it'll be fine. It's not that big a deal. So they were doing, they were doing the braid and I could tell straight away, like this isn't right because my fringe, my little fringe, which has become like shorter and shorter, um, they just kind of left two tiny pieces out of the front of the fringe and I was thinking like I don't really understand what's going on because you either have to leave out the full fringe and like blow dry it and make it nice or put it all back but we can't just leave two tufts out right that's obviously not going to work but I'm like trust the process full trust the process I'm trusting this expert fine and so they continued to do the braid and it felt very, very tight. And the one thing I did say was, okay, yes, you can braid my hair, but please can it be very, very loose, very loose, very relaxed, almost like there's not braid there. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like... So you got so no close to asking that for what you wanted, but you didn't quite get there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but they did say, yes, it'll be relaxed. Okay, so I could feel it going in and I was like, this is so tight that it's hurting me and it feels really high up in my hair so they did the braid and then they put the extensions in and I I just I I knew like Dave was there as well and he was watching it and he just kept looking up and just giving me like very confused glances in Dave's defense we kept looking at you because and you kept giving us looks but I couldn't tell it was like is she the happiest person (laughs) in the world or is she really miserable? Who's to know? So I think that's why we were so confused looking at you. Anyway, I digress. So it's done. I know it's shit because because then I'm, I'm waiting for them to either like blow dry my fringe or put the fringe away. No, no, nothing. So I've got two tufts at the front, two, two mini tufts and then this very tight braid. And then the braid is done really high up on my head. So there's about two inches. No, I'm not good at measurements, but like maybe... Yeah, maybe an inch and a half between braid and where the extensions are put in, okay? So, like, the idea is when you have half up, half down, that the, the upness covers the extensions. That's the whole point of the covers upness, the right? Downness, yeah. So I said, and they put the extensions in, like, like all bunched together. Like, it wasn't out in a straight line. It was all bunched together. So I kind of felt it, and I just said, can you... Are the extensions visible? Because I'm thinking in my head, like, I can, they're completely out. And they said, well... Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, right, okay. And that was it. Yeah, the, you, then this is like, this is my favourite thing about like being a human and particularly like your variety and my variety is that you said, can I see the extensions? They said, yes. And that was that. And then you stood up and you went, oh, okay, thanks then. Then you disappeared upstairs, <laughs> just disappeared. My hair was like genuinely straighter than when we'd started. Like, my natural hair was curlier. It, it really was. actually was. amazing. I was like, yeah. it, it, it didn't look bad. It just was... I was confused. Anyway, I was the least of the worst because then you took out my Alex upstairs to... You were, like, needing help upstairs. This person was packing up their stuff. Bless them. Their um, products had exploded all over the kitchen floor as they were trying to leave. And we had my friend's dog staying who was absolutely terrified of them. And you were upstairs with Alex with a pair of scissors and he was cutting out your hair. And we were an hour and a half late by this point because the braid had taken so long. And obviously when we left, it was fucking pissing it down with rain. And we arrived with the worst hair, genuinely the to combined the worst oh, hair horrible like it was so, so i was horrible. so embarrassed with my own head and i was like why are you late oh so, uh, i blow dry and everyone gives you that look and they're like 
Interesting. Anyway, really? so I guess was probably my awkward, <laughs> but my good came from the text that I received when we left. Okay. So yeah. at 22, oh well, at about 10 p.m. after oh, God. I, after I'd taken my shit hair out for the night, I was go I was going home. <laughs> you were going home. We all went home, and Al the the Alexes, me and Dave left together, and we said goodbye to you. You, I mean, I'm gonna say you're a little loose. This little. Definitely, Definitely I was little, loose. Yeah. You, know, you just sort of, sort of like wobbled off. We were like, okay, goodbye. Very like odd goodbye. I open my WhatsApp and I have a message from Alex sent at 23.28 saying, I have anxiety. 23.28, do you still like me? And 23.29, I'm like, ha 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 I love you. And then you reply going, promise. And then I replied going, yes, Al, I promise. And you replied going, okay, thanks. Love you too. I literally was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, we've just said goodbye. And I tried talking to you in the street. I was giving you this big hug and I was like, trying to tell you stuff. And you were like, yeah, okay, bye, see ya. Me and Dave are out here. And you and Dave having the biggest argument about missing your train. He was like, we are going to miss this train. And you were like, I am not yes. getting on that fucking train. And we were like, well, how are you going to get home, Al? And you were like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, Dave. Just, oh, anyway, it was really fun. So we had some highs, we had some lows. But what the, the, the main did. thing was that it was a roller coaster we had day. really shit hair. Do you know, the, we had really shit hair. The, the thing was, I had anxiety because so at the party, it felt like when you... you could, Like, there were a lot of people there that we know from our industry, right? So it's like... I wanted to go to the bar. To get, so I actually went and got something to eat and sat down with it. It was, the veggie option was a Thai curry. So I went and got it and sat down with it. And I was, I was hungry at that point. But then someone came up to speak to me. So the curry got left. So I never ate the curry. And then I was like, and then after that conversation, like I went to go to the bar, but then someone meets you on the way. So I felt like we were there for like three hours or something. But I only taught, I, I was only in like pockets of people. Like, do you know what I mean? And so I didn't you were even... in high demand. You were dressed, and I say this <laughs> with a lot of love, like a, like she was dressed like a sort of like a di- like a Disney princess in yeah, it was too much impersonator. It was too. You much. looked like one of you looked like you worked at Disney, and there was this one point where I don't know why coincidentally you were just talking to three much smaller <laughs> women, and. And you had your big heels on. Oh my god, that was the other bad. That was the bad. The awkward was the fact we had shit hair. The bad was the fact that Alex told me, girl Alex told me, we couldn't, she said, they won't let you in if you're wearing trainers. So I put on a pair of fucking stilettos on a Thursday night, which no fucking Londoner would do. When they're, oh, gee, I could have killed you. And you know what? My parents got married there. That was where my parents had a wedding reception. And I guarantee you this, they are not the kind of place that aren't going to let you in if you're wearing trainers. <laughs> I was told. Sure enough, we got there I, and I just looked down and there were just sneakers look, everywhere. I was, like, I was only passing on information that had come to me. I said, well, it's you, a posh place. We're, we're all wearing heels. It's smart dress so I was like oh my god well you were wearing very high heels and there was a point when I came to get you to be like we need to go home because you're going to miss your train that um you were just towering you're not even that tall I don't really get it but you were like towering (laughs) over these three coincidentally very small women and it did look like you were they you like you were making dreams come true at Disneyland that's what it looked like (laughs) 
because they were all looking at you and you just you were like yeah but with a like very happy drunk smile it just made you look like a Disney prince I was just like this is it this is her calling this is where she has to go next that should have been my awkward actually just wearing that ridiculous dress it's like you know when you know you just made us look way too smart yeah we did we looked really smart I got yes, false information, thought. honestly. I'd like to file a complaint. Because I, 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 I would much rather be too dressed down than too dressed up. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. Much rather. I just, I felt like such a tosser going in there. Yeah. I would have liked to have I just, changed. With it, my heels were so high. Yours so were high. Re- yours were very high, actually. They were like... Yeah. They were like 70s style yes. platform, like very chunky... Yeah. The only heels, heels I ever wear are six-inch heels. It's six-inch heels or trainers. Yeah. If it's a it wedding, was... I'll wear the six-inch heels. If it's literally anything else, I will wear the trainers. This was literally anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I was furious with you. Honestly, furious. But then also I booked the blow dry, so I couldn't be that mad because it was just like, well this is my fault like what's happened to our heads is my fault <laughs> that was really bad that is why because you said before i imagine this is something you've done before i i would never do i have never done it in the past because i know that i don't like it when other people do my hair i just why don't say that but because why it's been so that long that i thought you know what this could be great. This could be great. And it takes the pressure off. And da, da, da. It's, so, no. it's so hard to say that you don't that like you don't it. like it's, it. People say it all the time about going to the hairdressers. And we could sit there and it's like, we could be receiving the worst haircut in the whole fucking world and still sit there and go, I'm going to love it. Yeah. Like I, I could literally watch someone shave my head into a <laughs> yeah. mullet and I'd still say thank you and leave a tip. Because I just I can't. Like I haven't <laughs> got it in me. And I looked in the mirror... I, and at, at this this person, we looked in the mirror together at yeah. my hair, and they went, "Do you love it?" And I went, "I love it." <laughs> and so I did it. I was like, "Why am I? Why I? I hate it." <laughs> um, so yeah, it's so there hard. You go. It's oh so my god, hard. your good, yeah. bad, and awkward was all together. Jesus. Um, yeah. Oh god, I better do mine then. Just wrap it up quickly. <laughs> My good feels now, feels now like a weird good, but it kind of made sense in my head at the time. So, uh, as I was getting off the train yesterday, I saw my ex ex boyfriend. Right, Ooh. one that really, while I was at uni, like it was a weird and whirlwind love. Not love. It was a weird, like <laughs> it was a whirlwind love. It was, it was a, a it was an love. intense whirlwind thing, and like I like he like broke my heart it was like not a good no, he time didn't. he did no he didn't he did he broke my heart what a and dick. i was like devoted absolutely devoted literally i would play the song you know um heartbroken without your without love. Your yeah love. which but was like yeah, big okay. at the time i never thought yeah 100 but i've never thought of it in the actual context of heartbreak because it's so cheery no, i would like listen to it over and over it like was it was sad <laughs> it was sad i really had my heart broken and like and i remember it being my world at the time and obviously i haven't thought about this in well a long very fucking long time 20 this to 30 was minutes li- at least <laughs> Still keeps me out. Um, <laughs> one that got away. I've obviously, I haven't thought about this for like years and years and years because this is years ago now. This is like sixteen years ago. Jesus, I'm gonna say like 2008 when that got oh when my that God. song was big. And I guess yeah, 2007, 2008. Yeah, it must have been sad. Um, 
so yeah obviously I haven't thought about it for a very long time but at the time that was my world right for that brief period of time and then seeing him and realizing now how well realizing that he has like no like zero impact on my life or whatever I was like hindsight and like time moving on it's an amazing thing isn't it because it made me think like did he see you he didn't see me I was just behind him and so I I obviously wasn't gonna go and be like oh hi you weren't just gonna go there, punch him in the back of the head. <laughs> no, you no, my heart. no hard, no hard feelings. I really don't care. Um, but, but actually, this is really weird as well. Is that no? I'm actually not going to tell that story because we don't have time. So, um, but yeah, it just it kind of made me realise that actually, like things that seem so big at the time. Oh my god, what, this is make, this is now making no sense as I'm as I'm like no, vocalising it. Makes, it, makes no it sense. But because no, can I just say I know exactly what you mean. I completely like fancied this guy at school, right? And and yeah. for more than fancied, it was I don't know. It went on for like a few years, a couple of years. It was a bit just like anyway. But this guy really it impacted me when I was a teenager, and it was like a really big thing. Anyway, and like I. I just, he, yeah, he, I was affected as a teenager and I always think, and I think what you're saying is that you you think that person's always going to be a part of your life. Yeah. And then when I, the next time I saw him, like five years after I left school, it was at this nightclub in Brixton and he literally walked up to me and he went, I'm going for a poo. And I was like, <laughs> ew. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh my God. And it's like, I held you in such fucking high regard. Right. And you just, the first thing you've said to me in all these years is, I need a poo. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go home now. You're like, that is, yeah. I know, it's so weird, right, isn't it? But like, I feel like it applies to everything as well. Like things that seem so big in the mo, like now or in the moment, like it just, you know, like they, things do tend to have a way of just settling down. And you move on from things, which is really nice. So, so that was my good, very weird good. Um, my awkward is that my awkward is your fault, entirely your fault, actually. So I don't even know what I've done. I was sitting in a coffee shop. I was like, I need to go out and work somewhere. I was sitting in a coffee shop, and actually, a girl next who was sitting next to me, I could tell she was kind of like looking at me, and I was like, "What is going on? What's wrong with me?" And then she was a very nice listener of the podcast. Um, so that was really lovely. So we had a quick chat and then went back to our individual laptops and things, but she was still right there. Anyway, I just pulled up my Instagram and you always appear first on my stories. So I watched your stories and I watched one of you'd videoed a fox in the park and you'd, you'd wrote on it like, God, I wonder like a fox is thinking, you know, who are the, oh, I want to read it out now. I want to read the actual story out. I basically said about foxes, I said, do you think that foxes look at dogs and think, why are you attached to humans by a piece of string? Yeah, that's How fine. come you're allowed in their houses? Why do you get to be fed out of a bowl when I have to scrimp through the bins? Like, basically, okay. why are you not feral yeah. when I have to be? I read that and instantly, like, I, I felt tears come upon me, like, just, like, immediate <laughs> and urgent and really... <laughs> severe and I started sobbing sobbing thinking about all these foxes who are just they're just le- they're just looking and I, I've never thought about them looking at dogs and being being so sad and so jealous and so like life is so and I was like life is so unfair and then I and then I told you like I went on trying to donate to foxes I was like can we adopt a fox 
um, it was it was bad. And then this woman said, "Are you okay?" I was like, "I'm fine." Obviously, couldn't tell the reason. I was like, "Fine." I just saw something sad online. Um, so thank you for that. Um, Sorry. Uh, I don't think I actually. I was thinking about it. I've got something in my some some things in my DMs. I think a lot of people speculating that foxes might look at dogs and just think you fucking like how sad. Okay, the that makes me feel better. They've caught you. They've they've trapped you. Okay, that makes look me feel better. Look at us better. prowling the streets. But you know what? Like I genuinely and I don't know who PRs animals, but I always think this about like squirrels and rats. They're basically the same. Right. But squirrels have fluffy tails. Oh, right. do you know something fun? Go on. In Canada, there are black squirrels. And I swear to God, they're the chicest things I've ever seen. Ooh, I'm it's like, oh, I'm like, oh my God, a Chanel did squirrels. It's unbelievable. <laughs> oh. It's like, wow. But Black it's like, squirrels. it is wild. But like birds, beautiful. Bats, gross. Like squirrels, yeah. adorable. Yeah. With like little nuts in their cheeks, but rats. Ugh. And all because they've got a bald tail. I mean, how fucking... Pr- like, I know. we're so discriminatory based on the hair loss, I actually. I know. Cruel. Um, dogs are allowed in the houses, but foxes, people shoot. And they use dogs to catch foxes, yeah. which is weird. Why don't we milk horses? <coughs> okay, that's taking a turn. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or eat them. I just don't understand. Like, yeah, well, I get well, it. I don't yeah, want well, to yeah. eat them. I don't eat any of it. But like in Iceland, they eat horses. Well, why why don't what like why why do we have dogs as pets and we don't eat them, but we have like cows we'll eat a pig. and pigs and sheep as farming. Then why animals. don't we eat goats? I just don't understand no, how we like, do. the rules. Well, we don't. A goat. I mean, I know like some people eat goats. Yeah, and, like, in some cultures they I have think, goat. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not like a sort of it's not like a goat farming industry is huge in the yeah, UK. Yeah, I know which is it's odd, weird. But then it's maybe really it's because I don't know. Maybe it's just because we don't need it. I feel like but it's just, all very arbitrary reasons. I don't think there's anything substantial, but behind any yeah, of this. Yeah, I just no, and it's just weird that like dogs and cats are pets, and then everything else is like an outdoor animal. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No. And why do we why do we keep some rabbits? At another thing. Why yeah. do we keep some rabbits in the house when loads of rabbits li- live outside? Yeah. But then hamsters and guinea pigs, why don't hamsters and guinea pigs ever live outside? They only ever live inside. Yeah. So like you can have wild rabbits or home rabbits, but you only have her. Like imagine seeing a, like a wild hamster. Um, I was going to get into a story about hamsters that a girl sent me on her Instagram, but I don't need next to do week. that. Um, next week. <laughs> That's an incentive um, to come back, isn't it? Um, <laughs> About so, a wild hamster. I just, I just don't think we see enough of them. Yeah. Anyway, my bad. Hang on, very quickly. De- oh God, I, sorry, you're bad. No, it's fine. Oh, I no. left the house. I walked out the house. Turned around to lock the door. And Dave's keys were in the door, and they'd been there all night. And that is quite scary. So that is my genuine bad. I oh, I know. Oh, that's bad. Okay, so I'm. It's quite bad. Um, but don't say it's too bad because I've done. I do that. Do you actually? Not. I'm going to say, yeah. I very regularly get a knock on the door from someone going, I guess. Oh my God, that is terrifying. And every time I say the same thing, I'm like, oh, thank God, you're a nice person, not a murderer. And they go, ha ha ha. And yeah, okay, have a well, that's terrifying. So Alex, look out. It yeah. Is, yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Is it Dave's fault? No, no. Or did you leave the keys? It was, it was 100% Dave's, Dave's fault and Dave's I was fault. mad. I was like, you've put us all at risk. <laughs> the dog. The <laughs> fucking dog. What would she have done? Damn it, Dave. 
So, we do have a good interview this week. We do. I'm so excited. So, we spoke to Sorma Sara. I literally found and had a whirlwind falling in love with uh, Sorma last weekend because I saw an extract of her book had been serialised in The Times and my Alex was reading it on Sunday morning and he was like oh my god this woman is amazing you have to read about her you're going to love her so I read her article in the times and then basically her book had just come out and I just luckily and generously been sent her book by um her publishers and I read it I started reading it immediately and I absolutely loved it what she's doing is so important and she and once I shared um her work on once I shared the her book on my Instagram so many teachers got in touch to say that they just really valued what she was doing and she was really changing the way that they were able to communicate with young people around consent and sex and porn and the way that basically feminism and misogyny exists online so we knew we had to talk to her and um, luckily for us she said yes and she was amazing honestly the most articulate and eloquent person in the whole wide world could have listened to her for about 45 years unfortunately we've only had 45 minutes but she's going to come back she's amazing we hope you enjoy it um, and we know yeah. you will her book is out now it's called Everyone's Invited and I desperately encourage everybody to read it enjoy hello hi, hi. <laughs> okay starting it so much um but thank you so much for coming today um this is not your first podcast but we're going to claim it as your first like very unprofessional podcast yeah you've done today in focus and i think this is going to be such like a nosedive since then <laughs> yeah. um but y- you've come into my life by fate i swear to god i had the weirdest weekend of just like so I was reading the paper, I was reading an article about you on Sunday Sunday morning, it was in the Times, right? Yeah. And then I came downstairs and I had a message from my best friend being like, God, this is this have you read this um thing about everyone's invited, it's so up your street. And then I opened a uh, an envelope on my kitchen counter and it was your book that had just come through <gasps> and I was like, Am I is this so like, oh my god I'm invited, like whatever it is. And obviously it was the, the press surrounding the book that came out last week or the week before now it came out on the 1st of september so congratulations thank you so much and thank you so much for having me oh my god no i'm so happy that you i was i was texting you and i was at a wedding and i was like we need her i'm obsessed like this is just the most amazing thing and you were you were at a wedding just like okay (laughs) i saw a flurry of messages i've got to go to the toilet and i was like yes definitely yes 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 sorry (laughs) how's it been since the book's come out for you It's been really nice. Like we had a really wonderful launch, which was really special. And um, it was all like the people in the world that I care about most who came and there was so much love in the room and it was just so lovely. And yeah, it's been quite surreal to see people um, like hearing about their views and insights and how their experience of the book and how, you know, how it makes them feel and how they're connecting with it. And that's like a really crazy feeling and experience. I bet. Yeah. Can you tell us, can you talk us through the premise of the book and then, and also how it came to be? Yeah. So it's called Everyone's Invited. And the the name, it comes (laughs) from um, basically it's a, a charity and a movement that I started in June 2020. And it is basically about people sharing their stories of sexual violence and rape culture online. 
And it was after I had lots of conversations with friends um, and we just began to realize how many of us had been victims of sexual violence and harassment and abuse um, throughout our teenage years and how they weren't really spoken about and the experiences were so stigmatized and it was only in kind of growing up and looking back um, and coming to terms with how um, disturbing and traumatic and wrong those experiences really were. So I felt that I wanted to share some of the stories and then I was just overwhelmed with the response online on my social media. And it was just my community and my peers reaching out saying, oh my goodness, I, that is my experience. And, you know, I've been through the exact same thing. Um, and um, after this kind of mini explosion, I decided to create the platform Everyone's Invited, which was just a website and a social media account. And the idea was a safe space online for people to share their stories anonymously. And then it grew into more of an organization. And the mission was to expose and eradicate rape culture with empathy, compassion and understanding. So it was a very kind of overwhelming two years where... Um, Last year, it kind of hit the press and exploded in the media around the time of Sarah Everard's death. And um, it was about people sharing their stories and also naming schools associated. And it really kind of triggered this extraordinary national conversation around this area, sexual violence and abuse and harassment in schools, image-based abuse, digital sexual violence, sexual bullying, kind of the whole spectrum of behaviors from misogyny and sexism to the experiences of, you know, being followed home and stalked or groped at a Christmas party um, to uh, things like the non-consensual sharing of intimate photos and then um, the end of the spectrum, which is rape, assault, violence. So this the whole spectrum of, of a rape culture. And it kind of had this crazy moment where we triggered a national Ofsted review in schools and we had government response and we launched the NSPCC helpline for abuse in education. And um, there was a huge conversation around universities as well. And yeah, it, it's been quite an overwhelming time. So it, the book is basically a follow on from the, that kind of moment. And it was, I guess, my intention to interrogate the culture and try to kind of grapple with it, get to its root causes and understand it. And then through in that way, try and find solutions. Reading your book, I literally, I don't know about you, I have like 45,000 questions on the back. Of I know, so um, <laughs> I don't know where to start. <laughs> but reading your book, I said to you downstairs when we met that I've, I felt like a great connection with you reading your experience of growing up in London and the way you describe it. I was saying to these guys before, you write like... Carrie Bradshaw it makes London so fun it's so great but then there's just like there's this underlying current of danger and you write that better than Carrie could but you write it so well in the it I, it was something that as I was reading I was like oh my god like I feel I really understand and I can I can feel this feeling and I can like close my eyes and I'm on these nights out just like you were and I was in probably the same or different parts of London to you having this these exact same experiences which is what's so amazing about what you're doing and obviously you can feel the inclusivity with the fact that you're saying everyone's invited that so many people you're striking a chord with so many people but I think the thing that I find fascinating is we have a very small age gap between us of five years and we have very similar experiences in one sense but then there is also this world that you live in that we just 
don't understand. And I can't believe that at 28, I live somewhere where I'm like, I'm old enough to be saying, I just don't get it. But my mum's always said, you're, you're the same age as my sister. My mum's always noticed and identified a really big generational difference between my sister who's 23 and my brother and I who are 26 and 28. And the key difference is that me and my sister got iPhones at the same time. I was 18 and she was 13 because that's when they became mainstream. So our lives have been like totally different because hers has been online in a way that ours was a bit, like I had Facebook or My, MySpace or we, we kind of were, we had this sort of like fun bumbling coming of age on a social media that grew at the same time we did. But you guys are growing up like in the belly of the beast. And you talk a lot in the book and online about porn culture and digital, there, there are terms there that people will be listening to that they've never heard before. Older people, parents, older sisters, whatever. And that's what I find the most interesting about your, what you're doing because you are like unearthing something that so many people have no idea about. And yet for you, it's like your entire life. And I wondered this, if you were explaining this to somebody who was like an alien, could you explain like what, what's so different about rape culture online and how that's so prevalent in schools and how that's like what you found out about that? Yeah, so I guess it's exactly as you say, like when you're speaking about us growing up in the belly of the beast, I guess that is kind of all we knew and it, we really began online and there is that lack of separation between the online and the offline. They are intrinsically intertwined for people my age and below. And it's just a completely different way of looking at things. And it's just fundamentally such a different landscape, um, which is crazy to think that you're only like a few years older. But even for people like, for people three years younger than me, it's like almost another whole different world of like TikTok, yeah. which is like, I find that difficult to come to terms with because I'm, you know, but that is like the most important social media platform. But it's- Don't say that, our whole careers are on Instagram. I know, Shit. but like for, for that generation, <laughs> so cool. it is. Like it they're is, all yeah. on TikTok. Yeah. They, they don't go on Instagram. It's and kind of terrifying, right? Yeah, it's like a whole new ball game. It's savage. But, um, but yeah, it is like, you know, it is a completely different world and it's growing up in the digital age as if you know we were that guinea pig generation and when there was there was no supervision no rules no regulation it was kind of like we were just thrown into it and um kind of all you know for a young person a phone is like a second arm mm. it's like so part of their life like um, if I lose my phone, I feel like I've lost an arm, honestly. Like everyone is so addictive. Like we are living, we grew up online. We were living our lives online. We were finding ourselves, um, figuring out who we were, our, our identity, developing our views, political opinions, forming relationships, friendships, interactions, flirting, everything online. And therefore like, you know, as rape culture, as it's always existed, misogyny, sexism, um, abuse, you know, all of that will inevitably penetrate those platforms. And they have, and it, they've taken on these kind of new, more extreme forms online. And it's kind of accelerated age old um, forms of abuse. So my grandmother's street flasher is an unsolicited dick online. You know, it's like the same thing, like the kind of get back in the kitchen 
banter at a, at a house party is happening there, but it's also happening on a WhatsApp or Facebook or Instagram group chat. Um, and then there's this added sense of kind of permanence online as well. Like you put things out there and they're there forever. Mm. And it's this huge kind of, again, this is the kind of land of the lawless. And it's quite, you know, it's really an overwhelming place. And it is a place where abuse has kind of exploded, at, you know, where predators can lurk and where there is little control or, or accountability. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it, it is one of those things though, again, it's like a double-edged sword where everyone's invited would not exist without social media platforms. Mm. Like we blew up on Instagram, on TikTok, um, everything went viral on those platforms. Um, but at the same time, those are the same platforms where so much of this abuse is existing and it's happening and it's rife. You know, even now with things like Meta kind of developing the virtual world, there've been reports of how, you know, those platforms are rife with abuse too and harassment is happening on. So, it, you know, it is a place where predators exist. Um, and then of course we have pornography, but that's a whole other conversation oh god but, is um, it like yeah it's so much because like, it, it is i guess yeah and i guess mine is a generation which was the first one where you know growing up in an age where porn was the, the wallpaper of our existence mm. where it was so accessible to anyone at any time and so normalized to have access to it i remember you know? when i was like 12 a video of a girl in the year above me masturbating I think she'd sent it to her boyfriend or something I can't even remember but it was on uh, like I remember it was like a Motorola flip phone and people were passing it around the room and that was the one and only time that I was aware of I just remember thinking like holy fucking shit like you can't send you can't trust anyone like that would you know what I like I, I remember just feeling so bad for her but then also you feel a lot of things I think when you see something like that because you also feel this kind of like I don't know, like, I, I suspect there was a lot of my own feminism there to unpick because I think I probably judged her. But anyway, I was, I, I must have been younger than 12. It was my primary school. Anyway, that was the one and only time I ever saw anything like that happen. And I, and it was so grainy on a motor, it really could have been anyone. It was like watching something on a potato. But I'd say now, like, it, was that the sort of thing that, is that the sort of thing when you talk about like it being a background thing? Like, if we hear about revenge porn and stuff, but is that happening in schools? Like, is that more prevalent? It's hugely prevalent. I mean, we've received testimonies of nudes being sent around like wildfire, where boys have like WhatsApp groups um, or like Google drives that are accessible from, to like hundreds of people across London and, you know, hosting nudes of girls like underage, um, airdropping each other's nudes in, in maths class. So that's um, like a girl would send it to... Yeah, so um, a, a girl sends something to her boyfriend or someone she's seeing um, who she trusts. And then what happens is, you know, she is then shamed and blamed when that is sent around without her consent. And the onus was not on the person who violated that consent. It was on her who was deemed the slut and... Um, you know, ostracized, shamed, humiliated, bullied, and often punished mm. by the school and by staff and by parents and suspended while the perpetrator and the boys who've been sharing it around without her consent, obviously, went unpunished. And, you know, it, it 
incredibly traumatic, some of those experiences. There were stories of, you know, a girl's images being projected onto a wall at a house party with like, you know, in a room full of teenagers, you know, 14, 15 year olds. And so many stories again and again and again of, you know, girls as young as 11, 12 being coerced, like manipulated, you know, with a barrage of messages demanding images and so much pressure that they feel like they have to because it's like, you know, they're young, they're impressionable, they want to be liked, they want to be cool. Um, and I think this is something that is really difficult for um, older generations, particularly parent generation to understand this, you know, the dynamics of what's happening there. And like, you know, how 11 year old, she just wants to be liked, to, to be loved, to be seen. And she is being like sent, you know, so many messages, please, 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 being begged. She sends it and, you know, and that happens to her and it, it's incredibly traumatic and people don't understand the kind of nuances and like the dynamics that are going on. Often like a cool, popular, older boy who has loads of social power, clout, who's like promising all this stuff to her, very manipulative. Um, people really, it's really important that you know, this is what we're trying to do through the testimonies, through this book is kind of shining a light on the nuances and the undercurrents of these experiences, how it's not as simple as a girl is sent a nude and therefore it's her fault. She shouldn't be sending nudes. It's like, it's the culture, you know, digital sex for that generation is real sex, you know, for a generation that's grown up online. So it would be like, you know, a parent saying to you, don't have sex. You know, it, for them, it, it, sending nudes, the consensual sending of nudes and sharing of images, that is real sex for them. It's like how they're developing their relationships and exploring their sexuality. So it's really important to have that in mind when we're kind of approaching this conversation and just reframing the way we we talk about it. If we're, if we're shaming and we're humiliating, we're creating a hostile environment, which many of my peers suffered, where they felt so ashamed when something happened to them, when they experienced that level of abuse that, you know, they suffered in silence, they couldn't do anything. And they couldn't seek support or, you know, hold their perpetrator accountable. And, you know, it is so dehumanizing and traumatic. And yeah, growing up as well, not just from the testimonies, from my own experiences, I remember just countless situations where boys would be showing um, nudes that they'd been sent to like, you know, groups at a house party, like on a night out. Um, they'd been like passed around images. I remember scrolling down on Facebook and seeing someone's fully exposed like breasts posted. And, you know, always kind of stories and um, things circulating and, yeah, it was just so common and prevalent. And now we know, you know, through the Ofsted review that was conducted in response to everyone's invited, sexual abuse online, digital sexual violence is rife in schools across the country and cyber flashing, being sent unsolicited dick pics and being pressured into sending images is, you know, ubiquitous and happens to nine out of 10 girls nine out yeah. of ten and to so much to the extent all the research in this area that's been done so the studies that um i've been reading and working the academics i've been working with and that that review in particular so there's a study by jessica ringrose a ucl professor um which is focusing on tackling image-based abuse and harassment and also the ofsted review they both specifically highlight how 
girls don't report these things, like reporting is basically non-existent because the behavior is so common, they think it's normal. It's just totally normalized. They're like, oh, why would we report it? It happens every day. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That leads into something that I was wondering, like what something must have prompted that conversation with you and your friends because I mean I guess in a world where this stuff is so ubiquitous it is just completely normalized and you're desensitized to it like I I just can't imagine like I've never had that conversation with my friends I guess we are so it, it just becomes so normalized so like was there something that prompted that or like prompted you guys to see it through different eyes of being like hang on all this stuff is not okay yeah, I, I, we, there was definitely a moment like that when the pandemic hit and I was finishing university and there was this kind of moment of pause. Yeah. And I'd also been watching I May Destroy You at the time. So and, good. You know, amazing. Yeah. And I think watching that and seeing the kind of nuanced behaviors and different forms of sexual abuse being shown and also... Um, being shown a kind of idea of human beings as being like incredibly nuanced and complex and capable of harm and good mm-hmm. and how these characters are, are moving between the roles of perpetrator, victim, bystander, complicit bystander, you know, see, understanding things in that way really kind of informed my thinking and helped me, I don't know, reframe and relook up about all of my experiences growing up. And um, yeah, just understanding that notion of, okay, this person, anyone is capable of doing this. And a rapist isn't an evil monster who, you know, lurks in a dark alleyway and like rapes a random stranger. Rapists are our colleagues, family members, friends, husbands, boyfriends, you know, they are people you know. That is what the stats say. And it's incredibly rare that someone is actually raped by a stranger, by someone that, that has nothing to do with them. And, you know, rapists, you know, it, it, there's such a stigma around the word rape and a rapist. But when, we, when we're viewing them in that way, we're kind of um, making them seem like they're this rare, you know, monstrous occurrence that happens. And, you know, it's, it's a bad apple. But actually, it's not a question of one bad apple. It's a bad society. You know, it's it's not rape for me. It's not an individual problem. It's a social societal problem where we all have, a, you know, we all play a part. When someone is raped and 
they're not believed, they're victim blamed by their community. You know, that person is re-traumatized when someone is raped and then tries to go to police. She's victim blamed, they're not believed either. Um, she is re-traumatized through that policing process and her phone is taken, she's isolated, she's not allowed to go to therapy, you know, and then in the end she waits years to go to, to have see her if her rapist gets convicted. You know, the reality is it's a 1.4% chance of her rapist actually um, leading, you know, getting any kind of prosecution and um, that's a one in 70 chance of her rapist being convicted. So the reality is, you know, it's a societal issue. We're all playing a part in a culture. And um, it's also, you know, if we're allowing misogyny, dehumanizing derogatory language, we're um, enabling abuse because we are enabling the dehumanization of individuals. And when someone is dehumanized, they become vulnerable to violence. So for me, it's about recognizing how we all play a part in society, how we all have a role and a responsibility in tackling this culture. And it's not a question of bad apples. You know, when you cancel a bad apple, you don't fix the problem of sexual violence. You just, you know, the societal wide problem of sexual violence, you just remove it from view, you know? We've talked, and, and I think we always do, talk about the the women and the girls in this case that are going through this, right? And you said before, you know, like our parents would say to us, don't have sex. And now you'd say, we'd probably say to our daughters or whatever, the young women that we know don't send nudes and this is why. And, you know, you'd really try and like help the girls understand and navigate the world that they're living in because that's what, and you talk about it in your book, you know, you explain the gender roles and how they're upheld and you know obviously at its core this is a patriarchal thing right because we are conditioned to exist as we do and a massive part of that conditioning is continuing to try and protect the girls by telling them that they can't do this and we and they can't do this and they can't do this and this is how they have to behave to protect themselves but something that strikes me as you're saying it, we're dealing with such young people here. And when you think of a rapist and when you think of a sexual predator, you think of an old man. Like that's that's what you think of. But in reality, that's not that's not the case. We are breeding and raising, it sounds so gross to say it, but sexual predators now in the same thing that we're teaching these girls to protect themselves, right? We're, te we're teaching boys to do we're teaching boys to be what they're becoming or, or to be the thing to be the thing that I don't know it's like that it it's so gross it's, it's it's like like society is feeding them boys a narrative of like so like feeding them this like misogynistic narrative whereby it's a social currency right to like share nudes to you know objectify women to and, and and therefore it like it does and what you said before is like how to everyone's invited strives to eradicate rape culture through what did you say compassion empathy compassion and understanding empathy compassion understanding and that is the way forward right it has to be because on the one hand they are learning no different through these like through society but tapping into compassion and empathy and understanding must be very difficult when you are faced with these stories and you're reading these thousands of stories like that is a very difficult thing to try and 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 tap into right yeah 
A hundred percent. I think it's quite it's been quite an emotional roller coaster. And I think when the initial surge of stories came and and it was really close to home, a lot of my peers and people I knew sharing things about people I knew. And I think there was a lot of anger. And anger is a very important emotion, but it's also quite a dangerous one. And I think I wrote an essay um just last week about it in um, L, and it was kind of exploring the idea of anger and activism and I guess what, what it means and how it can be useful but also destructive. And um, I think as a survivor, experiencing that feeling of anger is very justified, but it was about, you know, channeling the anger into action, into, into something that is meaningful and useful and directed and then moving forward then with compassion and empathy and understanding. And it is really hard. I think we have asked empathy of our community and also been on the receiving end of really intense backlash because, you know, people are hurt, people have suffered. And as a victim, it's incredibly hard to, we've, you know, from the very beginning, we've encouraged empathy, reconciliation and forgiveness. And to ask forgiveness of a survivor is, you know, a really difficult thing. And, you know, it takes time to get to that place. But at the end of the day, if we want to move forward and progress in this world and heal the wounds, you know, it's not going to help if we're just like encouraging this angry backlash of, of demonization and dehumanization of the other gender or of, or of perpetrators. It's just creating more division, more polarization, more upset. And we want to help people. We want to, you know, allow people the chance to move forward, to change, to become accountable, to apologize, to become better humans. Because as you mentioned before, a lot of these perpetrators, they were boys, you know? Yeah. Well, this is what I find. This is what I wanted to uh, really wanted to talk to you about is like since I guess since you finished the book and since it's been published, the kind of like incredible rise and then removal of Andrew Tate from social media, I think has been a really alarming thing because it's been kind of the first time that we've really seen the incel community or the manosphere or whatever red pill, whatever stupid name they want to go with in the mainstream. And I think a lot of older people would be very surprised, have been very surprised by him and like by his rise. And I have been horrified by the, not necessarily by him, because he's like, I mean, he's obviously a monster, but by the kids in his comment section who are like totally idolizing him and the way that he operates that you know the way that he's been operating his business was effect you know it's been uncovered that it was basically a pyramid scheme so it was like totally a massive scam could totally and it was the whole point was that tate was encouraging his followers to share clips of him on social to get more people to sign up right so it basically just he ended up very deliberately sharing propaganda like it felt it feels like I mean it feels like incel propaganda but like I don't I don't know if that's a term that I don't know but I just wanted to ask about like that because that's the indoctrination of young boys to misogyny right like that's this this part of online and how like how, how is that allowed how is it allowed how do you tap like yeah do you genuinely think like okay we can we can 
get these guys because I I agree with you in that of course you have to have empathy like of, of you and you're so right and I do really feel sorry for for reading Laura Bates book men who hate women really gave me an insight into how many men fall into being an incel fall into the manosphere because they're hurt and they feel insecure and 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 their weakness is like um taken advantage of by people yeah. and i think you know it's sad it's like they obviously feel isolated and lonely in in the environment in the landscape and i think a lot of that is due to patriarchal pressures of a very particular form of ma masculinity that you know culture is encouraging so the idea of you know a masculinity that you have to be hard and strong and robust and perfect and then you know not showing any emotions you know, it is, I, I speak about this a lot in my book, it's the socialization of boys to adhere to just being a man, being strong, manning up constantly and not allowing them the space to have emotional nuance or literacy or be open about their mental health. And I think what Andrew Tate is promoting is an even more extreme form of the traditional kind of patriarchal masculinity, which is about domination and suppression and the objectification and taming of women. Very extreme, violent, um, this kind of alpha male influencer um, situation, which, as you say, is a complete scam because he's not helping any man. It's just about his own rise, mm -hmm. right? Individualistic rise. Um, and... I think what that creates is this incredibly, these incredibly restrictive scripts um, of of how to behave that um, that are so particular. And again, like it's not allowing boys to really be human beings, to cry or to have empathy or to value compassion or to speak openly about their mental health or to seek support or help or ask someone if they need something. It's about maintaining an impenetrable sense of hardness and pretending, pretending to be a man constantly pretending and we have the same thing with kind of femininity as well and I speak a lot about that in my book and the pressure as well to adhere to a restrictive script of femininity always being beautiful and perfect and um, you know so much emphasis on being passive and um, nurturing and caring and putting other people's comfort before your own. And my argument in my book is the importance of sharing of masculine and and feminine traits. So instead of restricting ourselves to either side, it's about sharing these traits amongst ourselves because masculinity and the traits associated with it, they aren't bad traits. They're, they're great traits. Things like, you know, being confident, being empowered, being strong. Those are really important traits as are the female traits of nurture and compassion and empathy, you know, but they only become toxic when you're told that you can only be one or the other and you can't share them equally. And as human beings, we need the freedom to be both, to be as a woman, I should be able to be confident and strong and empathetic and compassionate too. You know, men should have those opportunities as well to share those equally and I guess that's the kind of main argument between one of my first essays beyond gender scripts it's about the importance of sharing those gender scripts between us and not restricting them to each gender mm. so do you think like with fixing this like fixing this world is it too late 
do you think for the grown for the grown ups for the parents for the because I think sometimes there's there's certain types of people the like boomer stuff and you just think you're never going to change their minds so we just kind of have to wait for them to die and then hopefully there'll be a more progressive world which feels really bleak but also just like where we're at or is your focus you know is your focus like okay we need to educate everybody or do you think we really need to like focus specifically on schools specifically online like what can people listening where can we channel our energy basically into being actually practical and and then helpful with this because it does feel like terrifying <laughs> it feels so big so I guess like what what do you think is like a, a helpful and practical outlet I think like encouraging the importance of empathy and like just continuing this dialogue and having these conversations and being open to listening to people's experiences that might be different from your own and trying to see other people's perspective I think that we are living in such a polarized divisive time where there is little bridge between opposing viewpoints and you know it's really distressing to me it seems like it's very angry. There's a lot of hostility, you know, there's a lot of hatefulness and kind of dismissing someone who, who doesn't agree with you. Um, and I think it is so crucial that we are doing all we can to find the empathy to relate to others and find the common ground and share these experiences. And that is what we've had to do with our work with Everyone's Invited. It's about being as inclusive and as, you know, as, as the name says, everyone is invited. It's, it's trying to be as inclusive and as open as possible to try and get people on side to listen and to have the to have those difficult and challenging conversations and dialogue um, and destigmatizing the conversation too. Um, but it is a huge challenge and there will be people who don't agree, who are angry, who feel attacked, who get defensive, um, but it's part of the process. And I also wrote about in that anger essay, the importance of backlash and look, thinking about backlash and thinking, you know, what can be mined from it? Um, and, you know, trying to understand those people who react in that way and, you know, understanding that the backlash is evidence that the conversation is happening and it exists. And it's also a reminder that um, there's so much more work that needs to be done. But then again, I think the probably the most fundamental lesson is that we need to listen and to, to have those conversations to make a change. And to have, which I think, which strikes me like more than anything about social media. And maybe it's not just a social media thing, maybe it's a human thing, but <clears throat> that people really struggle to call upon empathy for anything outside of their own human experience. Yeah. It's like, I see what I see and I can't see much outside of that. So that's um, been one of the main things about the kind of parent generation dismissing the testimonies right. and not being right. willing yeah. to listen or to read them or you know accuse saying that they're sordid a journalist wrote because it is so different to what they grew up with you know pornography and the impact of that and social media and the landscape that exists now it is fundamentally different you know for them it is you know completely it does not, it's difficult to relate to. And for them, and as you say, 
may be difficult for them to believe if it is so fundamentally different to what they've experienced themselves. Can I ask like, what, what it was that was described as sordid? Just the testimonies, like those, you know, horrific, devastating experiences of like, you know, people writing their experiences of sexual violence mm. was described as sordid. Yeah, because I wonder, I, I, I just mean like, I think so much of the older generation and it's something that I've experienced a lot. People just say, "Oh, take, you know, take it as a compliment," you know, like, "Oh, you'll miss it when it stops." Yeah, yeah, when yeah. you know, when you have like builders shout at you or whatever it is, or you know, your flat, you know, it's 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 completely minimalized. And I wonder, you know, the the one there are so many great things about like generations that grow up online, despite all of the bad press they get. And something that is amazing is the fact that you've got people opening up in this way and you've got people being so vulnerable and honest. And I think that alone makes old people quite uncomfortable, right? Like you've got all these people who are just like so happy to be so vulnerable. And it's really disappointing that that people are dismissing it. But something that feels really positive is when I shared your stuff on my socials I had so many teachers say wow. how instrumental your work has been in their addressing of their kids and how they've dealt with issues of porn or harassment or whatever in schools that's incredible really cool I didn't realize how big a problem it was in schools like that was really eye-opening for me but I guess teachers have to be a big part of this as well um is like what but can teach like can teachers yeah. i don't know because we had like, i remember like one of our teachers telling off the girls for wearing a black bra because it was like or they were being told off because it was distracting for the male teachers so bad. Yeah. um so i don't know i didn't how's that like de um relationship changed with with socials like between teacher and student so i think teachers do have a big role in this area and like you know as a teacher as a staff member as a head you have a responsibility in safeguarding young people mm. and it's really important. And I think they have been a big part of this conversation and there have been a lot of issues that have been identified and exactly as you described, that kind of like age old misogyny around policing of, you know, what people are wearing um, over, you know, when that takes precedence over someone's like capacity, you know, like freedom to learn, that's yeah. a problem. But, um, yeah, I think I also have a lot of empathy for teachers because it's really challenging topic to, to approach and it is by no means only on them. It's on everyone. Parents are teachers. They are the first teachers mm. of, their, of their children. And this kind of behavior begins, you know, it is, it is being embedded from day one. If you are embedding values of kindness, empathy, boundaries, consent, you're setting up your child, um, to, to carry that with them through their life. But if you have like role models as parents as, you know, really uh, problematic and, you know, ideas about women that are dehumanizing and objectifying and, you know, it, it, I think parents are huge role models for people. But yeah, so teachers are, you know, they do have a responsibility as well. Um, I think that, as I say, again, I do have that empathy. It's really hard for them in particular to, be policing especially things going on online and social media mm. and having control and supervision yeah, on that because like, is it their yeah. problem yeah like if stuff's happening a lot of the things are time. happening on the weekend at house yeah. parties on this you know so it is really hard and they can't have oversight of all of that they just can't yeah it's it's a huge it's a huge challenge but there is so much that they can do i think that 
getting an education and understanding these experiences, number one, is so important. Mm -hmm. Understanding the spectrum of rape culture and understanding how all of this behavior is connected and being able to identify the behaviors as well is so important. And then also um, developing those non-judgmental, empathetic spaces where people feel that they can speak openly about what they've been through is really important. And having open dialogue with the students, with the pupils, um, because the pupils of, you know, those are the people who understand this, the culture the most because they're living in it, because they're living online. Teachers are from a different generation. Yeah. You know? Can I ask, like, shoot right back to where we were at the beginning. You said before that that um, quite often the, the victims, girls who send nudes or whatever, they're the ones that would be punished or suspended. And there's these, like, Google Drives of, like, images of... Um, it's a two-part question. First of all, is anyone making Google Drives of the dick pics that they're being sent without permission? Like, is that something... Is it? There's this, is there, like, a, a clapback from the girls who have... I mean, I haven't seen that widely, but I'm sure that that's, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that exists, like maybe not the Google drives, but like yeah. a girl non-consensually showing a, like a yeah. dick pic of a boy. I'm just sorry, I just, yeah. that was just a, like peeking Which is also, a, you know, a problem. horrible too. Yeah, but I, it has been quite clear from the research and the testimonies that women and like girls are overwhelmingly the victim 100%. Of, and I, of that kind of Yeah, I don't want to be one of those people that's just like... I hate it. Mm. If this was the other way around, yeah. you wouldn't but be saying it. Really like, but it is really important to recognize um, that boys and young men are victims as well, equally yeah. in this, and and not maybe not equally, but they are um, victim can be victims of of sexual violence and abuse, and male sexual abuse is even more stigmatized. And that is also, that also comes down to patriarchal forms of masculinity and the pressures on them to be strong and hard. And, you know, it's all connected, but, um, you know, they are often takes them decades to speak about um, their experiences and both historical and recent. And many of the testimonies we've received are from men and boys talking about those incredibly traumatic experiences. We've had testimonies from six-year-old men talking about abuse experiences experienced as a 10-year-old at boarding school or, you know, it, it's, it is also prevalent, but not spoken about at all. Can I ask about what the punishment, if there is any, for the boys that are spreading the, um, that are airdropping and whatever, is that, I know a friend of mine who was raped at university and all they did was all that the university did was move her out of the halls that she was in and put her in another one and there was never any look into and, and I've heard this a lot on the back of what she went through that the there just seems to be so little done and I know that's just one example but so little done for the um to the the perpetrators to stop them getting their education. It's very often the victim's education that's interrupted or changed, or, you know, so often they'll end up leaving school or whatever because of what's happened to them and how little they were listened to and respected by the university or school that they're at. Is that a common thing? Yes. I mean, it's that's overwhelmingly the narrative that the victim goes through this horrific ordeal and does not receive justice, you know, incredibly rare it's again one in 70 chance that a rapist rapist will be um 
prosecuted. You know, it is incredibly, incredibly rare. And universities is another huge conversation where this in particular has been a huge problem. Um, and again, it is that age old traditional prioritizing of male promise over female promise. You know, a man is seen as more valuable and, you know, important and, you know, his well-being and future is prioritized over the female and you know it's desperately sad but we we live in a patriarchal society and we we have throughout historical time and their futures are deemed more important and women are rendered disposable can i just ask what how you tackle how you tackle people whose rebuttal to this entire topic is false accusations women are making false accusations and ruining men's lives. Like what is, how do you tackle that? So I think it's really important to say that false accusations, they exist and you know, they happen. But ultimately we know from, you know, there's a huge body of research that's been done around this area that they are incredibly rare. And you know, that is just, that it's not a debate, it's a fact. They are very rare and that is a that's a rebuttal that's used to kind of um, basically to to dismiss or delegitimize the testimonies, but ultimately I guess the anonymity of everyone's invited. The whole point is that you know these are people who have nothing to gain really by they're sharing stories, anonymous stories. They're not. There's no attention. There's nothing in it for them yeah. in terms of like. You know, the, the whole, the arguments that, that that are thrown in this direction is, oh, they're trying to get attention. Oh, they're trying to ruin someone's life. Oh, they they made a mistake on a drunk night out and, and now they they regret it. So, that, but it's like, this is, a, these are anonymous stories. The only thing they're doing is sharing something openly for catharsis and for healing. There is no, you know, intention to destroy or ruin anyone's there's no names you know it's just purely sharing openly there's nothing to be gained um in that way and yeah i guess that is one of the problems that we're trying to tackle against that assumption the first assumption that people have oh she must be lying i do think that's like a you know an older generation yeah. thing as well like for some reason they've just like they see everything through this really cynical lens especially when it comes to female violence it's really exactly and towards yeah i think you know it it is down to the media how false accusations are blown up in the media when in the reality rape is not covered to the to that extent first of all and then you know rape is also rarely even reported <laughs> right. so it's just like the the amount of rape that goes on that is like first of all the stats show it's like you know a child is raped every day every school day in school in in school. yeah yeah and you know it, it's really shocking to, to understand so the scale bad. and the prevalence you know it's it's overwhelming and the reality is 1.4% get charged you know rape cases have soared and charges have hit a record low and like if you just look at the stats and that's only things that are recorded the amount of rapes most rapes are not reported they just aren't and that you know the testimonies show this the book shows this you know there is this huge 
overwhelming list of reasons as to why a woman won't report, you know, the challenges women, the barriers to reporting, they won't, they're worried, they won't be believed, they're worried that they'd be judged, that they'd be shamed, that they'd be ostracized, they're worried that they lose control of their story and what happens to them, this especially for children and young people, um, because things get taken out of their hands and the police are called and you know they know that nothing's going to happen that they're never going to see any justice that many of these cases take years a child is raped when she's 13 she only goes to court when she's 19 and she's re-traumatized every single year she fails her GCSEs she doesn't make her A-levels she doesn't go to university I mean it's life-changing <laughs> it could just completely transform someone's life and and ruin someone's life and again, it comes down to that. People prioritize um, men and their, their promise and, the, and their futures and reputations and completely overlook how a woman and a girl or a victim, how their life can be destroyed yeah. by I, rape. Like we have to finish, which is like gonna kill me. But I have to know with all of that and knowing, like I would be so angry. I am so angry. And I'm so impressed that you can continue to do this with empathy. But how the the rebuttal that's okay, like I'm taking all the things that make me angry from this conversation, like the fact that that's happening, the rape is happening so prevalently, the fact that there is rebuttal, the fact that people, men are dismissing it or people are dismissing it, women being like, all these things that make us angry. How, in your opinion, do we take this anger and practically put it towards being empathetic do we need to have empathy when we talk to these men do we have empathy when we talk about these men how do you suggest that we implement empathy into the places that we're feeling anger because i think a lot of people will just be feeling angry now I, yeah i guess it, it is having holding on to that empathy and it is really hard and um having the endurance to keep going and to keep campaigning and to keep talking about this area and to continue those conversations even when they get hard and keep sharing those stories. It is really hard because people get really upset and uncomfortable and defensive and angry. And there is a lot of backlash and it comes from men, some boys, but also a lot of mothers of boys, really a huge, we've had the angriest, most aggressive and kind of vitriolic backlash from mothers of boys. I imagine, because they're terrified. Yeah. Right, they're scared. And I think it took me a long time to get to a place of empathy there, because it's horrible to be on the receiving end of that. But ultimately we have to understand that this is a mother who is in fear and an instinct, a mother's instinct is to protect her son, I guess. And we have to understand that, you know, and it is really hard They, you know, that it's coming from a place they don't know what to do. Their son's been accused of rape. You know, it, it can be a terrifying experience. And I think people who are in those positions are just looking for someone to blame and they can't accept, you know, it's partly their responsibility. It's also all of our responsibilities, you know, as a society. Um, and I think for them that they, the instinctual thing to do is absolve themselves from any responsibility, be so angry and try and blame someone. Um, and I guess it's a survival instinct. Do you, I think I know the answer to this, but like, do you think this should be on the curriculum? 
Yes, I think it should be respect and boundaries. Yeah. And do you think we'll ever get there? Do you think it's possible? I would hope that sex education is taken as seriously as maths and English. I hope that we get or there. Like home economics. Like I was yeah. taught how to fucking set. Well, I didn't because I couldn't. But like, say, did you? No, <laughs> I was also tried tried to teach cooking. Obviously, that didn't work either. But like, yeah. Imagine if we've been taught. You know, like those things are just so much more important than I know. Being able to make a pillow. <laughs> or do fucking algebra. Who gives a shit? Boil potatoes. Like, I'd I know. Be able to, I know. I'd rather know how to like. I I totally. I get so angry at how much I've learned since I left school. Like reading your book is so amazing because I've learned so much and there's a lot of it you kind of know anyway because you, you sit on it and you think you know and you think you have a feeling and reading it you, and you write so well that you really and and I'm loving that I'm learning it and I'm just like why the fuck am I learning this now like yeah this is so annoying I should have learned this and it gives me a lot of hope because you are taking this into school or, or you know you're everyone's invited is being used by teachers and what you've created is a resource that is going to educate people but fuck it's annoying that you have to do this and that it didn't that it's not something that we just get to learn get to know or that just didn't exist in the first place yeah like don't you ever get annoyed that you're like 23 and you yeah. just have to carry this huge emotional burden everywhere you go because <laughs> like that feels sorry that's the other yeah. one final thing i want to say about everyone's invited do you, there must be a huge pressure on your shoulders yeah i think i've really like struggled on a personal psychological level with like the work and the weight of it and I've had to like do so much therapy to just finally be at a place where I'm more comfortable with it I think there were so many levels of like why it was difficult there was like being exposed and becoming a public figure and being kind of a representative for something that's very traumatic and very intense and emotionally heightened and I felt I really struggled with it. I think that, you know, there was a time where I would go out for a drink or like I couldn't go outside and hang out with friends and not be approached by people who would tell me their like biggest rape story trauma. Yes, <laughs> Just like, so much trauma. And like, it is incredible that they feel empowered to share. And I'm so proud of my team and my work and everyone's invited for giving people that. But at the same time, it's like, I'm also a human being and that's like a lot to like, you know, there's a lot of vicarious trauma. My team, we've had to read all these testimonies and that's been something that we've had to deal with. We had a counselor helping us um, and giving kind of therapy that's sessions great. and like count, like just open support spaces where we were able to talk about all of this stuff because it was just too much. If you're reading traumatic things, you inevitably will be impacted. You know, and vicarious trauma is a term that is will affect anyone from, you know, therapists or journalists or academics working in traumatic content or doctors or, um, you know, people on the front line, domestic abuse specialists, or even if you have a friend who is a survivor and you're supporting them, you know, anyone can experience vicarious trauma if they have that closeness to some something traumatic. So it's been really challenging, but... Um, it's been like an incredible journey and in so many ways I'm so privileged and um, just, you know, in, it's been incredible. It's it's given me so many opportunities and I've met so many amazing, extraordinary people and learned so much in such a short space of time that it's been such, it's been such an empowering experience too. And um, 
building the community is probably the most amazing rewarding thing it's such a beautiful community and having that those intimate connections with people who have you know been through that trauma and just knowing that you're not alone is like a feeling that you know I would never change for you know I would never take any of it back because it's changed my life in such an incredible way but that's not to say that it hasn't been really incredibly difficult and painful triggering and traumatic as well you know yeah well I mean thank you for the work you do it's incredible and you are changing lives and doing so much good um and I've loved this conversation like I'm so sad we have to wrap up yeah I feel like <laughs> um, I've talked to you for like two or three literally days. <laughs> I know yeah you're incredible um mm. thank you so much and will you come back at some point please <laughs> Thank you so when much your for next having book me. Comes out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> come, back. come back. Yeah. Really, oh yes, and we will put a link to the book in the show notes. That would be amazing. Everyone's invited. And your Instagram account community. Yes. Well. Yes. Where can people find you on Instagram? So I just have I have my own Instagram, which is at Somasara, and then at everyone's invited as well. Wonderful. They will Yay. be the show notes. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much for having me. Should I delete that? Is part of the ACAS Creator Network. 